You can't do all of that and run a business at the same time. Or if I go back to what I said before and be the CEO, because you're, you are the CEO, the secretary, the marketing person. You can't do all of this. But there are systems today in place. And again, that's the first thing I do with companies. I'm like, okay, show me your process. And I can carve out nine out of 10 times, half a day to a day a week that we can free. You're listening to the Client Catching Podcast, the show that uncovers how high-performing service-based business leaders are successfully navigating the ocean of complexity around growing their business. Now, as anyone with the talent and guts to start a business knows, it takes a lot more to grow one than just being great at what you do, and you can't do it alone. So this podcast will show you how other captains of their own ship, just like you, have found the right strategy to catch more clients, simplified everything, and transform their business. So if you're ready to do the same, then jump aboard and join me, Adam King, host and the captain at Think Like a Fish, and let's go fishing. Hey, how you doing? Adam here, and I wanted to quickly let you know about a brand new 15-minute video training where I show you how to get 5, 10, 15, 25 or more predictable sales appointments every month in just 30 minutes a day. And how you can do all of that without cold calling, networking, relying on referrals or any of that kind of stuff. Now, I've added that to the podcast gift page, which you can find at thinklikeafish.co.uk slash podcast gift. That's thinklikeafish.co.uk slash podcast gift. And you'll also see all of the other resources and gifts that I've created on that page as well. So hope you go and check that out and, uh, and enjoy what you find. So until you do that, Let's get back to the show. Hello, welcome to the Client Catching Podcast. Now, let me ask you, what do you think the difference is between a big business and a small one? Is it the amount of resources they have? Is it what they sell? Is it how they're funded? Or is it something different? Well, today, I'm hoping that you're going to see that there's only really one key difference between the two. And that is that big businesses and the people that run them, they think differently. So as we're all capable of thinking, this would suggest that every small business has the potential to become big by adopting the way that a big business thinks, right? Makes sense. But problem is, unless you've worked in big business or you've got access to those that do or have, then this could be easier said than done. And that is exactly why you're going to want to you're going to want to pay attention today because my guest today has a huge amount of experience in this way. He's been an F-16 Air Force pilot in, is in the Israeli Air Force, after which he transitioned to a training and simulation startup in Tel Aviv. He did an executive MBA and graduated with honors. He founded a startup and then became the president of e-commerce for Tariko Holidays, the largest travel wholesale company in the US. And what he was essentially doing was running a B2C startup within this large B2B corporate. Now, after selling this company, today he spends his time mentoring startups, investing in real estate and small businesses. And he also hosts the E-Tribe podcast and blog, which focuses on helping other entrepreneurs. So with an absolute wealth of experience and wisdom on what it really takes to start and grow a big business. I'm absolutely delighted and really excited to have this conversation with my guest today, Isa Matis. Isa, welcome to Client Catching Podcast. Thank you, Adam. Uh, it's a pleasure being here. And one small correction, it's Isar, but you're not the first, neither the last to butcher my name, so I'm totally used to it. <laughs> Do you know what? I've even written down I need to double check the pronunciation. And I just, uh, we, we were talking beforehand and I got a little bit carried away with, uh, with the uh, conversation. But um, yeah, I normally do. So I do apologize. No, no worries. Did I get the second name right? <laughs> yes. Awesome. It's 50% awesome. in my book. 50% <laughs> success rate. That's awesome. So um, um, let's talk about big business thinking and how it, differs from small business? Because as I mentioned there, you've got a wealth of experience and we'll come on to a little bit about where you've got that from. But I kind of want to start this pretty hard and fast and really get into the nuts and bolts of what you see the biggest difference between the thinking of a big business and a small business. Okay. I think the two biggest business, the two biggest differences, one is how broad you view things. 
And the other is how far you think. Because I was in a startup company. I founded my own. I mentor a few right now. And most small businesses and most startups think from their idea out. And most large businesses think from the world coming in. And it's a very, very different mindset. And, and it, it kind of comes naturally when you're in a big business. And what I mean by that is you have a marketing department, you have an HR department, you have a business development department, you have a research department, you have, you have all these departments and they force you, if you want, to think in each and every one of those boxes separately and invest at least mental resources because we're talking about thinking on thinking on how to better each and every one of these aspects. When you're in a small business, most of what you think of is how to put bread on the table next month. And it's a very, very different mindset. You don't think in concepts of what the market needs. You don't think in concepts of how do I better my marketing? What wasn't working in the A-B testing of this section of that market last month? It's not what you do. It's how do I find the next two clients that will write me a check that I can keep my house and have my family safe and healthy. And, and again, I see that today when I work with small businesses and, and I get it, right? Because, you, because it's a necessity. You must put a roof about the heads of your beloved ones. So I think that's number one. But number two is really how far out you think. And it goes back to the same thing. In, in a big company, there's always these quarterly reviews and annual reviews. And, and we hate those. Everybody does. But they force you to think a year out. They force you to think five years out and kind of at least have an idea of where you want to go so you can get there. And again, when you think of like, I got to finish these two projects because then I might be able to get the third one so I can pay rent next month, then you're obviously not thinking three years ahead. So I think these are the two biggest differences. Yeah, and I, something I hear in, in that is, is it's almost a bit like the difference between thinking not to lose and thinking to win. Absolutely. That's what comes into my head. And is that, does that sort of encompass it? Because when you're, when you're, when you're small, you're kind of trying to hold on to things because you, there is naturally this fear of losing or not getting enough out of the things you have, because you don't have as much of those resources. You don't have those departments that can take over certain aspects of the business. And a lot of the time, certainly when you're just starting, it could be just you, it could be a small team, and you need to get as much out of every single resource in your business as you possibly can. Whereas a big business, you're kind of thinking, right, okay, well, we can go about our day in, in, in a particular way, and we're not going to lose, but what we really want to do is win. And that's a totally different mentality and you can be a bit more aggressive with it. And it, there's a sports analogy in there that I'm sure is, is, is similar. Uh, the teams that win are the ones that actually focus on winning and don't play to, to you know, they play to win, they don't play to not lose. And yeah, I think that there is something massive in that. And, and how do you see that that shows up for small business? Again, I think, you know, I'll give you two examples. I think that would be the best way to kind of go about it. I'm working with two different businesses right now. I'm not going to name names, but I'm going to give you a description so you kind of understand what a business is. One of them, they manufacture and develop and install really sophisticated LED lighting controllers. So they do this both for residential, like fancy homes with like, you know, you go to the steps, the light light up as you go up the steps and very fancy, uh, you know, star ceilings for home theater rooms and fancy controllers. But they also do huge projects for like Disney and, and Universal here in Orlando. But all they do is chase projects. They always, that was the mindset. We need the next project. We need to, when I came in, I'm like, you can't scale that. You work like crazy because you're doing everything A to Z. And, and you can't grow because it's, it's three people. Like, so, okay, so you add another person, but then that means you're just chasing more projects. You're not making more money. And I'm like, why won't we start selling products? 
you have the technology, you've been developing it for years, but you do one-offs each time. And I think the hardest part there is obviously the transition period, right? Is how do I go from, I got I to gotta pay the bills to, oh, we can build products, which means we need different kinds of clients, which means we need a different kind of marketing if they even had marketing, which means like it's a different company, like the DNA of the company is different, but it's doable and it's scalable because now if you know, you know this better than most people, if you build the right acquisition process and you structure it in a way that is mostly automated, it's not that hard to scale the clients that will sell your products. But you got to go from a point that I have to do this project or I go out of business and it's 24-7 to I need time to create projects, to create marketing, to create relationships, to find people on LinkedIn that can work with me to, and so on. So that's how it comes through in a small business is I, mm. I think it's extremely difficult, extremely difficult to do it on your own. And it always puzzled me because I come in and I'm like, oh, it's so obvious. And I'm not saying that in an arrogant way. I'm saying that when you come as an external person looking from a God's eye view into the business, it's very obvious what's wrong. And again, you do this for a living. You know exactly what I'm talking about. But the I'm people also incredibly in guilty wheel, of not being able to see it myself as well in my own business. It's, yeah, we it's all, not like no, anybody is immune. I'm, a, I'm as guilty as you. When you're in the hamster wheel, it's very, very hard looking at it from a God's eye view from 30,000 feet and saying, oh, yeah, that's, that's very easy what, what needs to be done. But then really the tricky part, even if you have somebody external that helps you to see the problem, is really that transition period because you, 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 you're kind of running two businesses at the same time. You've got to keep the old one running because it keeps the lights on, but you also have to make that mind shift change and start building resources, assets, processes, tools that will get you to where you want to go. Hmm. And, and I think there's something in there as well. Well, there's, there's quite a lot in there, in fact. And one that I picked up is potentially that one of the things that differentiates a big business to a small business is just look at the amount of external help some of these bigger businesses get. They understand sure. that they'll do what they do and they do that best. But what they, they invest in is people to come in and see the stuff that is just too close to them and get that external perspective. And that will help them see further ahead, as you've said. Whereas a small business won't necessarily see that as an investment. They'll see it as potentially a cost. And it's like, well, actually, I know my business. I'm just going to you know, carry on and plow ahead and just solve this problem with sheer will and tenacity. Whereas it's not always the smartest way to do. And I guess smaller businesses, they tend to be run a lot of the time by the founder, the start, you know, the guy that started it. There's that ego attachment. There's the all of that. That's and, and, and I speak from complete experience as well. It took me a while to invest in my first mentor, my first coach. Best thing I ever did. But sure. it's not an easy thing to do. You kind of have to get to a place where actually you realize you cannot do it all on your own. And I said, I'll give you two examples. The other example is more of a theoretical example. <clears throat> Excuse me, but it, but it aligns very well with what I said before. So let's say you, and it's something that's happening right now, right? All over the world, you lost your job and you got to put, put foot on the table. It's like, okay, what can I do? I can mow grass. I have a really fancy big mower. All my neighbors, I live in Florida. Everybody has a lot of grass to mow and nobody likes to do it on their own. So I can go mow grass. There's two ways for me to approach it. One is to say, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to mow grass. The other one is to say, I'm going to start a mowing grass company. I'm going to be the CEO of ESAR's grass mowing experts. And I may start exactly the same way by going door to door and finding people, but I will, that's me speaking, I will set it up very, very differently. Mm. <clears throat> I will set up a CRM. I will set up digital presence. I will set up a way for clients to sign up. I will set up digital marketing for people to be able to find me, to know that I exist in that, this and that zip code because I can target them on Facebook. 
I, so the way I will approach it, even even the first three months, the actual day job will be jump on the mower at 8 a.m. and be done at 6 p.m. because otherwise you can't pay the bills. From 6 p.m. to 2 a.m., I'm building a company. I'm acting and thinking like a CEO of a company and not a grass mower. And I think it makes a huge difference. And, and it goes back to, to how you framed it, and it's perfectly. It's a mindset. It's a different way of thinking. Even if the beginning of the actual day-to-day -day is very, very similar. Yeah. And what I, I again, it, it just shows that the sort of way of thinking is, yes, you could look at a problem and think, right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go bang on doors and I'm just going to mow grass and I'll, I'll take what I can. But you're already thinking further ahead. It's like, yes, I will potentially need to do a lot of that grunt work myself at the beginning. But at the same time, I know that if I invest in actually thinking and growing this as a company, not just as me doing an odd job here or there, the potential and the, and the growth that happens in the future is far greater than if I was just doing it myself. And I think that speaks to the way that a, um, a, a bigger business would think or a, a real CEO would think, because a lot of us that start business and I'm, I'm a prime example, I ran marketing departments and, you know, I, I enjoyed marketing. So I thought, right, when I'm going to go on my own, what I'm going to do, I'm going to go and do marketing. So that's what I did, but it was just sure. me doing it, right? So I didn't have that future view. I did not. I just sort of went out and started you know, figuratively bashing on doors. That was what I was doing. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really have that sort of thought of, well, hang on. Uh, once I get to a certain point, there's not, I can't do a lot more. What yeah. else am I going to do? So mm -hmm. I, was good at, I was good at marketing. I could run a department, but actually growing a business, very different mindset different way of thinking and i've had help now to see how i can do that differently and it's a process i'm still in it but one thing i love is talking with people like you because i get some great ideas and 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 people on the podcast and it's fantastic but what would you say then is if you're going into this and you're thinking right i'm either going to be starting something or i'm currently a level where i want to move into that and i want to grow a business what are the key, what are the key responsibilities that you as a CEO really have to the business that most people would sort of look at and go, well, hang on, what about doing the work? What are the things that most people don't think of that a CEO needs to do? Unless you've been a CEO, they would know what to do. So I think it comes down to something very simple and it connects perfectly to what you said. And I actually almost jumped in and stopped you, but I held back strongly. And you got to think where you personally want to be in five years, where you personally want to be in five years, put it on the map. And the reason I say five years, it doesn't have to be five years to the day. It's just a long enough period of time for you to achieve something beyond getting started. Um, and what that means, it means in your head, you have, quote unquote, an exit strategy. And the reason it connects perfectly to what you said before is if you do your thing and you're a very good marketer, you can grow marketing into a certain level and then you just run out of resources because it's Adam. But beyond the fact you can't scale beyond that point, you can't get out of the business. You can't sell the business because you're it. Mm. That's it. There is no exit strategy. If you're saying, I'm going to build this empire and then I'm going to walk away and enjoy, no, because nobody's going to buy the business without Adam. I'm, I'm not trying to pick on you. I, I know it came out that way, uh, but, but it, it's the same it. for me, right? I'm, I'm building the E-Tribe that it's not about ESAR. It's mm. a lot of people who contribute, who build this thing together, who bring in knowledge that I, in five years, want to just orchestrate, hopefully mm -hmm. sooner. But if it happens in five years, that's fine. And then you have a lot of smart people building something together that's big enough to run without me, that has a clear direction, that has goals, that has processes in place. And so, so that's, I think, the biggest thing is like, where do you personally want to be in five years? What does that mean for year one? So now you 
forget about the next four years after that. What does that mean in end of year one? Where do I need to be in end of year one to kind of set the path that will get me to where I want to be in five years? And then you can start building to smaller and smaller pieces uh, from there. And it's the same, like the two examples we looked at before, and I can give you 20 others because I work with several different companies, but I'm sure you can give as many examples. Mm-hmm. Most small businesses do not do that. Most of them just do their thing. And they do their thing usually from one or two reasons, either passion, you know, I really like this. I want to do this. I'm going to chase my dream and I'm just going to jump and see what happens or out of necessity. I lost my job. I got to put food on the table. Uh, food on the table. What can I do to, to do that? But in both cases, it doesn't come from where do I want to be in five years? What mm-hmm. needs to happen in year one for me to get there in five years? And what needs to happen in the next three months for me to get to year one? Yeah. And, and it makes complete sense because I think what you've described there is a bit, yeah, it's very similar to my own journey. And uh, yeah, I'm quite happy for you to pick on me because, you know, you are describing <laughs> how I was probably, um, yeah, 18 months, two years ago. I was sort of at that transition phase and I went through the transition and I was sort of going from one thing and morphing into another. And I also actually said, you know what, I don't, I, while I will be the face of the business, I ultimately want it to be something that is scalable beyond me and also potentially sellable, which is why I've created an entire methodology and I put all of my experience into a single methodology, which is effectively IP, which is an asset that can be sold. That's my vision for a few years time and whether it you know happens or not, but I've got a kind of forward looking plan on how that could be potentially training other people on how to deliver it and, and how to sort of implement it with, with specific businesses. Those are some of the things in my thinking going ahead sure. because I know it works. And, you know, if I can get people to um, understand how to implement it with others, you know, it's, it will take some time for that piece to come together as a, you know, as the resource and all the rest of it. But ultimately, yeah, it's, it's kind of where I've gone. So I'm, Maybe I'm on sort of the right track with some of the thinking. I don't know, but um, yeah, there's, there's, it's, it's just something that at the beginning I didn't even consider. It was like, right, I need to put food on the table. I want to do this. This is, and, and you know, some people, and I guess one thing to maybe sort of call out is, it's okay if you don't want a big business. Like, you don't have to go this way. And if you have that passion for what you do and you simply want to do more of it, don't listen to us carry on doing what you're doing, right? Sure. Um, so why don't I, I think this is a, a pretty good time to dive into a little bit about the, the story of how you, first of all, we have to touch on the F-16 pilot thing because that's kind of the coolest thing ever, right? Anyone that grew up in, in the eighties and, and watched Top Gun, awesome, right? So For sure. I want to just sort of touch on that. And then- By the way, you know, they're that, coming that, out with a second, you know, they're coming out with a second movie that is insane. Yeah, isn't it called Maverick? I think they're going to call it Top Gun I don't Maverick. Know, but I saw and like the trainer, of it. isn't he? Yes, and it's like, oh my god, this is unbelievable! Like the scenery yeah. they were able to capture is just out of this world. Oh yeah, uh, it, it sends shivers when I see it. It's just like, yeah, I still get the yeah, hear the music that's go. Yeah, it's awesome. So I just yeah, <laughs> one of my favorite movies. But uh, we digress. But um, yes, sorry. No, I want you to touch on that and also a little bit about. Um, the journey that you went through with that first startup, which ultimately didn't go where you wanted it to go, but then you sort of pivoted and, and did something with another company. And, and it's that learning experience and some of the things in there that are really, I think, going to open people's eyes to possibilities. So I'm going to let you sort of dive in and, and like, seriously, what is it like in G-Force? I need to know, like, what is it to hit G-Force in an aeroplane like that? Well, first of all, you can know. do it in, in roller coasters, right? So I think the closest thing you can get as far as sensation is go on a really high-speed roller coaster. It's kind of the same thing, only on a, on a different scale because you don't want to knock anybody out doing the G-Forces. I think the one that I've been on that has the highest G-Force that you can experience, and I've been on a lot of roller coasters because I'm kind of a adrenaline junkie and I live in Orlando, Florida, so there's a lot of them around. Um, there's actually one here in SeaWorld that you're actually laying down like a Superman position. 
which means that G-forces doesn't pull all the blood out of your brain and you faint because you're laying flat. And so they can pull more G-forces than any other roller coaster that I've been on. And it's pretty fun. So if you want to experience it next time in Orlando, uh, Manta in SeaWorld, I'm not affiliated by any means. But uh, going back to how it feels, uh, it's, it's extremely fun. It's amazing to fly jets uh, from many different aspects. It's, and, and a lot of people you know, ask me, did this give you anything for business? And it, gives, it gave me everything for business because it teaches you to make decisions based on limited information. It teaches you perseverance. It teaches you to fight to the end because there is no other option because the end there might really be the end. So it's not like, yeah, okay, I'll start another business. If you're dead, you're dead. Um, the other thing, it teaches you to debrief. So one of the hardest things for people, any person, is to admit your mistakes, especially admit your mistakes out loud in front of other people in a very honest and candid way. It's very unnatural. Very few people find it. Yeah, you know, I, I'll go out there and say what I've done wrong. And in the Air Force, that's what you do. After each sortie, you sit down with a group of people and say, here's what I've done wrong. And it becomes second nature. You, I debrief everything. I debrief when I park. I debrief, I just taught my uh, five-year-old to ride a bicycle without training wheels. Every run you do with him, like, oh, okay, this is what I need to fix in my technique in order to help him do this. Everything, it's, it becomes who you are. And it's extremely powerful in business to be able to say, oh, this wasn't right. Not a big deal. I'm not going to do that again. Here's what I want to fix. But reiterate that again and again and again and again. So yeah, it's first of all, it's a lot of fun. But second, it's a it's a great school for life and for business. And, now, and, to, and I can only imagine just just before you go on, I can only imagine that sort of that strengthens that mindset as well. And there's also the uh, the, the process that's involved, I'm sure, in a lot of what you do. And uh, you know, did as a as, as a pilot, it's it's checklist. You have to follow certain procedures and and processes and all the rest of it. And that would have set you up with that way of seeing things and thinking. That um, I'm sure is you know maybe you'll come on to, but that set you up as, as the way that you look at business as a as a system and a process. And I won't. <laughs> I'm kind of jumping ahead because I know we've had a bit of this conversation, but I think that is that is something that. Um, if we don't, if we're not exposed to that kind of environment, we don't naturally think that way. I agree. I agree. I think it's, again, it, it builds not a second nature. It builds your first nature differently than the average person, which hence why so many um, military people, but definitely Air Force pilots become very successful entrepreneurs because you have that mindset. By the way, another thing that relates to what we talked about before is planning. You won't fly a mission before you've planned every detail, every step, every scenario, every what if, every know how much fuel you're going to get to which waypoint and what's the tolerance. And if you don't, what you do. And if you do get there early, what you like, you think every single detail, knowing that it's not going to happen that way because it never does. But again, it gives you such a way of thinking ahead and planning and strategizing and looking at what ifs along the way in order to have higher chances of success, which again, most business people don't. Yeah. I mean, the, even the best laid plans, uh, you know, go out the window in first contact with the enemy or everyone's got a plan until they're punched in the face, as Mike Tyson said. Yes. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's the ability to take that punch and sure. adjust. And yeah. I think unless you have looked ahead at like the what ifs and what can happen and all the rest of it, then something like this that's going on in the world at the moment, a lot of businesses have been caught cold, but yeah. there's a lot of businesses that haven't because they've seen something like this coming, not necessarily a pandemic or anything, but they've seen a shift towards online working, remote working, virtual working, and they have already set themselves up. I've been banging on about this for the last few years because, I mean, I'm completely virtual set up, remote set up, everything is done to operate in a digital world, which has now been thrust upon the majority of the population. Yes. You know, it's, it's, it's those sorts of things. If you haven't thought about that and your entire business is built on being in-person, physical, gaining clients from in-person events, networking, all that kind of thing, you're pretty it's going to be a 
big, big challenge to, to yes. do it differently. But looking ahead, planning, thinking, right, what do I see coming down? What are the trends? What's happening? How can I adjust? Da, 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 da. You do set yourself up. So there's something like this does happen. You have an ability and now you're not going to, you know, it's not going to get it right all the time, but you are better prepared for the unforeseen potentially. Sure. I agree a hundred percent. Um, you asked me a second question about the startup that I started and yeah. So you, what, what you, yeah, the, the startup and, um, and, and moving into the, uh, you know, where you, where corporate. you really sort of, yeah, your corporate uh, experience that'd be. Yeah. So uh, I'll start with something that was maybe the lowest step of, or, or part of my life in, in 2007, I bought a house in the US and if you could have timed the market to see exactly when it switched is when I put the pen on paper and bought the house with my entire life savings. So from being this entrepreneur, small startup from Israel, moving to the US, I'm starting to make some, not big money, but at least some money and make some savings. Overnight, I lost everything, like literally everything. And moreover, I had like $260,000 in debt with zero money in the bank. So not fair, not zero, 7,300 and change. That's like everything. My, my entire savings was this. And you're like, shit. Can I say shit on your podcast? I don't know. Maybe they have to cut it out. But <laughs> you just did. You just did. It's absolutely uh, fine. <laughs> but but it, it was really, it's one of those moments that you, you're like, what the hell have I done? And I didn't sleep for six months. Literally. I was so stressed on what can the future be and how do I turn this around? And what do I do? And you, and this is, you, you said you use that word. So I use, it's fear. Fear takes over and your mind shuts off and you're not thinking, you're just scared. And slowly you manage to get out of this. And my thought process was, okay, I can go back to Israel, but then I will never climb out of this hole. I can sell the house, but then I will never climb out of this hole because it's $260,000 less than I'll ever have to ever pay it back. Or I can find a way to jump personally. So I took $60,000 of additional debt and went and did an MBA. <laughs> so, and, and, you know, people say, what are you doing? Are you crazy? You're, you're saying you can't sleep because you have all this debt. I said, it doesn't matter. 260,000 or 320,000 is the same thing. It's an amount I cannot even dream of having at that point in life because I have $7,000 in the bank and I can save about $1,000 a month. So I, I, I need about, I don't know how many months ahead and that's before having kids or two cars or whatever. I, there's like, it's just the math doesn't work. So it doesn't matter. So I did the MBA um, and, and it really gave me a lot of confidence to do more things and a lot of knowledge on a little bit how to get started and I then quit my job so then I had no savings and no money and and started a startup company which which ended up failing but in that process I raised money I built a team a very amazing team of people that built a very interesting product I had a marketing department I had a product department I had a design team I had a technical team by the way all of them remote so all, most of the team was in Israel. I was here in Florida. And so talking about like all of this was what I did for a while and you just learn so much. But what happened is my main investor was uh, the founder of a very large travel company. And while I was doing the startup, he came to me and said, I want you to come and work for me and do something similar to what you're doing in the startup, do it within my big company. And and I did. And, and what happened then is I focused obviously more and more on the big business because over there, there's more resources, there's more flexibility, you can do more things. There's revenue coming in in day one because it's built within a big company and you have something to work with. And, uh, and the startup slowly died. And so that was 100% on me. I could have 
been more focused on the startup and make it better. And if it would have worked, I probably would have been really uh, famous and uh, sitting on an island sipping margaritas somewhere because the idea is brilliant and somebody will do it one day. But I don't want to go there right now. Uh, but what I did in the big company is I really built a small startup. So this was a big wholesale company. And I developed the B2C, the direct-to-consumer business. So I was running last-minute travel. Uh, most of your uh, listeners, I assume, are in the UK. So not to be confused with last-minute, totally separate companies, recurring uh, legal battles on the name, <laughs> all, <laughs> all different story. Uh, but we were able to grow. And again, I had an exceptional team of people, uh, both, both in the US and in Israel, developing a complete ecosystem. So we built everything from scratch. And again, now that I was after the startup, the mindset of I want to build an integrated ecosystem versus a travel website is what made it successful. So you've asked me in the beginning, and I think it was before we started recording. So I'll, I'll re now I'm interviewing myself. So you, you can go and have a beer or something. <laughs> no, but, but you asked me about the, how do you think differently on competition? Mm. So think about it. Who was I competing with? I'm competing with Expedia and Booking.com. And most people don't know that, but Expedia and Booking.com owns, like the ownership owns everything you know like every travel brand out there including the quote-unquote comparison engines trivago and kayak is owned by these two giants there is no competition it's a cartel of two companies who price fix the market it's horrible each of those companies each of those companies can you guess roughly how much money they invest a year in marketing um, I'm not going to guess because you have told me, but I'm going to oh, okay. let you reveal the big, the, uh, the big reveal. But before you do, one thing I do want to sort of touch on is that that is one thing a lot of people might not even necessarily be aware of, that you know, some of these big industries are dominated. There's the obvious ones like the Google and the Facebook. They, they dominate online sure. advertising, for example. But even companies or industries that you might look at and you know maybe you know right now the travel industry is one that is being you know is, is really struggling obviously but it is dominated by certain pl big players and most people don't realize that they are the ones behind a lot of these and they are just as you say operating in a very different way let's so let, let, let's let's sort of just say uh, different rather than a naughty i don't know um but <laughs> It's just a way of, of, I guess, viewing things and, and actually going, well, how did they get there? Like, yeah. what was the thinking that, that allowed them to even just be at that place? Were they just in the right place at the right time? All that kind of thing. But yeah, the, what I really wanted to sort of ask you about is, as you say, that the thoughts on competition and, and how, you, how you turn that to your advantage. Brilliant. Thank you. Uh, so it's... Uh... So you have these two giants, and again, you didn't say it, so I'll say it. Each and every one of them spends about $1.7 billion, with a B, on marketing. So you're talking about $3.5 billion in marketing to get your attention. That's why any Google search you do or any website you go to and look for travel, they show up. And they show up on TV, and they show up on radio, and they show up anywhere you go and look for travel. Why? Because they spend an amount of money that nobody else can even come two orders of magnitude close to. So I had a really big marketing budget. I was spending millions a year on marketing. Most people don't have that kind of money. Again, I was lucky to work in a really large corporate uh, that was very successful. But still, it's, it's not even pennies on the, on the dollar, right? Because it's, <laughs> they're, they're spending billions. So you can't compete head to head. You can't say, oh, I'll go and spend more on PPC, on keywords, and it's not going to work. So what we did is we said, okay, where is the opportunity? And I think that's how you beat the competition. Mm -hmm. uh, there is, I'm quoting somebody else and I don't remember their, their name, but it's, uh, there's, there's riches in the niches, right? You got to look for somewhere in the market where the big boys are not playing or at least they're not playing effectively. Mm. And what we said, we said, okay, who has a lot of clients? Because everybody who has money travels. Some do weekend getaways, some take fancy vacations in the Caribbean, right? But 
but everybody travels. Who has access to millions of clients? So I won't have to go after them. And we mapped them out. And we said, okay, credit card companies, they have a captive audience that's pretty big. Various membership companies, so we map those out. So Costco, Sam's Club, you know, uh, like the big bulk industry. Employee benefits companies. So again, a lot of the companies that have employee benefits, they don't facilitate the benefits. They hire a third party. That third party serves 300 companies. They serve together 20, 30 million people. Even the small ones serve 4 million people. So if you get into any one of them and you say, do you want to offer travel to your clients? Here's a complete solution, A to Z. Integrated marketing, automation, business intelligence, tracking, reporting, the actual platform, a website, an app, call center to do the sales, customer service, in your brand name. Easy peasy. And they get a rev share, right? So not only they mm. provide a great service without doing anything, they make money. So that's, that's literally one of the most one of the most powerful offers I guess you could make to anyone. It's like, how would you like to plug this in and generate additional revenue that you are currently nowhere near being able to generate? And like, do it at the highest level and offer something that your clients really want. This allowed us to go from doing last minute travel, which we kept on doing, but instead of just doing last minute travel, we built this platform in a bigger and bigger focus of ours was to go and find these bigger and bigger clients, but we were aiming for them from day one. Like we had a list of companies we want to target. And, and part of what we did goes back to your methodology, which by the way, I think is brilliant. We targeted people that are seniors in these companies to make them members in our platform. Like in last minute travel, we had a club, like a membership club. Get them to last minute travel club so they can experience what we have to offer. So then when we go to them and say, hey, do you want to offer this to this? I said, yes, absolutely. This was amazing. Like I saved 400 hours. Now, of course, they saved 400 hours a night because they're staying at the presidential suite at the Marriott and not at the days in, you know, on the lower street down behind the thing. But, but it doesn't matter their experience was fantastic as individuals and hence they wanted to provide the same kind of experience to their customers. So that was, and I think that ties together a lot of things we talked about. It's a long-term, long-game strategy. Find a niche where you can provide value that the big players don't and then go backwards from there. Like, how do you get there? How do you get to the people that make decisions? And it, it, it's never instant. Like, we built a platform. It took us two years or a year and a half to have it up and running. It, it, was, it was up and running very, very quickly as an MVP, but not mm -hmm. at a level I could go and offer it to. Mm -hmm. But two years after we started running, I was running, I, Turico Holidays, the platform that we've developed, was running Sam's Club Travel. That's 50 something million people in the United States that have a Sam's Club card that now can buy travel on a Sam's Club platform. But I don't have to do the marketing to them because they already are Sam's Club members. So it's there's there's so much in that. And I could yeah, I, I could go down a rabbit hole, but I am conscious of uh, of the time. But one thing I just want to point out is that throughout this entire conversation, everything that you have been saying, it's been very, very strategic focused. Like there hasn't been a single mention of a tactic which I think to me, that's what separates the people that are going to be big or are big from the people that are, or the, the businesses that are currently small and will stay small because there's so much noise out there at this point in time about which is the best channel or the best social media to use, the best tactic that you can use to hack an algorithm or whatever, da, da, da. that's such short sightedness. Whereas the people that ultimately get to a, a larger destination or achieve a larger result are the ones that actually 
They do. They look forward and they work backwards. It's kind of like I say, if you want to get anywhere, doesn't matter if you're growing a business or trying to go on a trip, you need to know three different things. You need to know where you are now, where you want to get to, because that's the only time you can then figure out how you're going to get there. And you work backwards from it. It's like drawing a map. And it's the it's the strategic thinking i've i've become far more convinced that that is the biggest difference between those that will not grow and the ones that will grow they accept and embrace the importance of strategy over tactics and that is what helps them to then choose the right tactics because let's be honest you have to use them they they exist you need them at some point yes but if you were just sort of looking, you know, a, a few a few weeks ahead or a few months ahead, like the opportunities that you've just described there would never have you know, presented themselves and you wouldn't have had something to go after and slowly build to. And I think there's so much in there. And. Uh, yeah, that is for me what is jumping out here. And if anyone listening is is sort of thinking, OK, yeah, but what do I then actually do? Like, that's the wrong question. It's still the wrong question. It's like, <laughs> I, I, I will say something, something about this that does tie. And again, I, I think you're so good at framing things. I think that's part of why your the architecture that you've built for your clients is so well done because you're very good at framing things, creating structure to the madness and the chaos. But one of the first things you have to do is you have to free time to think and plan. And that's where so many people fail because they didn't start that way. They're kind of already in the hamster on the hamster wheel. And like, how do I, I don't have time to think five months ahead or, or five weeks ahead or sometimes five hours ahead. I think part of the trick there, and it's something that I do with every company I start with, and I know you probably do the same, is you have to have, and this goes back to the tactics, you got to have systems and processes which will automate as much as possible. You cannot work with Excel and pen and paper in 2020 and be strategic. You just cannot. You got to have something that will save you the time of scheduling meetings, of going after people, of arranging the contacts with different people of following up of finding out who are the real customers versus people who just are roughly interested. You can't do all of that and run a business at the same time. Or if I go back to what I said before and be the CEO, because you, you are the CEO, the secretary, the marketing, but you can't do all of this, but there are systems today in place. And again, that's the first thing I do with companies. I'm like, okay, show me your process. And I can carve out nine out of 10 times, half a day to a day a week that we can free just by putting the right systems in place. Now you have half a day to think or start working on the next thing. So that's kind yeah. of what, what I do. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's something that's incredibly valuable. And I think if you, if you're still sort of thinking, well, I don't know how to get that done, then it's almost like, well, the best investment you can make is, is have someone force you out for a, a couple of hours for a half a day, just to sit down and go, right, let's look at your forward vision. Because let's be honest, like it, it's kind of like a personal trainer for your business, a personal trainer for your future, because we don't always push ourselves if we're just, you know, doing push-ups on our own. Whereas we'll get out another 10 if we're with somebody else there because they will force us. We will feel that obligation to please them, to show them that actually, no, I am. You let yourself down before you let somebody else down. Yeah, I, I just think that there is um, so much in there and uh, I'm absolutely convinced we could do about a, a six or seven or 10 part um, <laughs> series <laughs> and, and just discuss all of this. But um yeah, I am. I am aware of your time. But um, what I want to give people the opportunity to do is is find out about the E Tribe, and that's at e tribe dot com, isn't it? Um, because it's the E Tribe, yeah, the E Tribe, the in the beginning, yeah. Why don't you give a quick synopsis of what you're doing there, so that people can know what to expect? 
Sure, absolutely. So the E-Tribe is really a, like its name suggests, it's a group of people and I'm adding more and more people. Some of them literally join on board and write guest posts and, and so on. Some of them just join the tribe, like I'm sure you'll be, that it's another person that the people in the tribe can consult with and ask questions and have access to. And it really started as a, as a, my drive to help small businesses and I'm, but there's a limit to my time. I can help X number of small businesses at any given point. And then I'm like, how do I get to more people? And that's how it kind of started. And it's been growing from there and it's, and it's amazing. And what I'll do, and again, going back to, to tools and processes, uh, because I'm sure your time is valuable as well, but I want your, your guests and your listeners to get something out of it. Those set of tools that I recommend to all the people that I mentor, I will create a landing page with a list of all these tools and exactly what they do and how to connect them together to carve some time out and automate things in your business. And it's good for any business out there. Uh, I'll create a landing page for you guys. It will be at theetribe forward slash fish. Uh, easy and catchy uh, to remember for anybody who listens to Adam. And I'll put something sure. together for that. <laughs> <laughs> catchy fishy yeah love it yeah um i wasn't <laughs> I even always thinking that, that's a good punt i wasn't even thinking about hey no, I, I kind of i i pick them all out when uh, when people say it's just like <laughs> i just i just love it when people embrace the whole fishing thing i think some people love it some people hate it and it's kind of like well do you know what it works for me and it works for people that get it so thank you very much for embracing it i really appreciate it. and thank you ever sure. so much for sharing just yeah so much wisdom so much um experience because i think if people go back and really listen to this they th there is there is so much in here that could literally change your t the trajectory of a, of a business if you take it to heart and you actually then go and do something with it and that's the key and i think to leave it off maybe one of the biggest differences in the way that not just people think at big businesses is they they don't just hear something and go oh that's nice it's a good idea they hear something and they go and do something with it. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you. It's about action. So if, uh, if, if that's you, go and check out um, the resource page. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure. So thank you ever so much. And all that's left to say is happy fishing. Thank you so much. It was really fun and really great talking to you. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for tuning into the show today. I know there are a lot of podcasts you could be listening to, but you've chosen this one and I'm truly grateful for that. And if you've enjoyed this week's episode, I'd love if you could just take a few quick minutes to share your thoughts and leave an honest rating review for the show over on iTunes. It's not only important for helping others discover the show, but I also read each and every submission personally and they really do mean the world to me. So thanks very much in advance and happy fishing.